it was probably it, it probably wasn't maybe it was when it was initially released i think born to run the song was the first springsteen song i ever heard and uh at that time i was listening to the local classic rock station so i was into like the beatles and the who and the stones and all of that kind of elton john uh i love too born to run the first time i heard that song i was just um blown away it just one of those moments, you know, like a movie or a song or a book, the first time you hear it, you remember just hearing it and how you made you feel and you were, wow. Like seeing the light, the old Blues Brothers movie where John Belushi yeah. got James Brown sing at the church. It was kind of like that when I heard Born to Run. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lustig Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today as we record this, we are in the first week of new Bruce music, um, and I'm sure we will discuss that topic. Alan is joining me. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. I I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, I am so, so glad. Alan, tell us a little about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm out here in Southern California. I live in a region called the Inland Empire, which is about 45 minutes from the LA area, about the same distance from Orange County. Um, I grew up kind of lower middle class, um, and I've been a Springsteen fan since I was probably in the sixth or seventh grade. Okay. Very nice. When when did you graduate high school? I graduated high school in uh, 84. Okay, good. So right at the height of the Born in the USA mania. Right, and uh, I was just young enough to get my heart broken not to be able to see the River Tour because I was a freshman. <laughs> uh, you know, Alan, as we talk, and we will get more into that, um, a theme that comes across over and over again with people that I visit is there's always a tour someone else is chasing. Uh, my, the Jeff who was on the show, uh, Jeff and Sarah were on the show. I just last week I released the episode and he talked about in like the middle seventies, he was a high school student in Freehold, New Jersey, working at the AMP, and his buddies were trying to convince him to go see this guy, Bruce Springsteen, and he's like, I don't want to go see that guy, and he said he thinks of all the shows he missed until he finally got to see it, so it's always something. I always like to start at the beginning, so um, talk to me about, I assume you grew up in California? Uh, yes, uh, one okay. of those rare Southern California natives. Ah, yeah, same thing. Um, I am not a Texas Navin, na native, but that is a rare thing now uh, as I live now in Texas. Um, okay. so, so talk to me growing up. Um, was, your, was your family very musical? How many brothers and sisters do you have? Talk to me about your origin story. Oh, great, great. As a comic book fan, I appreciate calling it an origin story. <laughs> I am a huge comic book fan, too. We may have to talk a little comics. 
Well, I am the well-balanced middle child. <laughs> the uh -huh. Well, um, I have a younger brother and an older sister, and we're each about three to four years apart. Um, my family, my dad was a classically trained uh, piano player. Oh, interesting. And so we always had music. Uh, we would always have him play whatever we were into at the time, Elton John, Beatles, music like that. Um, and my uncle, uh, my uncle Vinny, he was on the Ed Sullivan show back in 1961 as part of his group, Little, Dane, and Mason. They were kind of a musical comedy trio with songs such as, How Could You Believe Me When I Said I Love You? When you know I've been a liar all my life. So they were <laughs> that is awesome. So you did have music in your blood. Yeah, and uh, Grandma Kalachi played a mean mandolin. So <laughs> nice. Was there music like at um, holidays and family gatherings? Always, always. Uh, my uh, grandmother, who lived to be 103, would insist on it. She would have her mandolin. My dad was more quiet, so she would always yell at him, Alfred, get on the piano. And she would play these great old Italian songs, some kind of risque. Looking back, I'm wondering, why was my grandmother singing songs like Roll Me Over and The Clover? I mean, I was six or seven. I didn't know what these songs meant. <laughs> that, is, that is great. That's good. So did you, as you started getting older, um, did you embrace the music? Did you rebel against it? What, when did you find your music? Um, I embraced it. Uh, so did my brother. We would go on just a little later to form our own bands. Um, I embraced it. I loved it. I guess some of my youngest memories were being maybe two or three and just telling my dad to play the old Batman TV theme song while I wrapped a towel around me as a cape and ran in circles around the living room and was always around it and always just loved, loved, loved music. But uh, I would get into metal and things like that later on as a form of rebellion. Okay. You mentioned your brother. Um, you're did your younger sister kind of go her own way? She did. But as you say, go your own way. Uh, she was, she's very musical too. She took uh, piano lessons. Okay. She liked a lot of the classic rock. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, as we were talking about, go your own way was one of her favorites. Yes. She loved her Frampton and uh, David Cassidy. She was a kind of music lover who would be into five or six acts. Frampton comes alive. Mm -hmm. And that's all she would play, right? She would be devoted to those six or seven acts passionately. You know, um, we often, one of the subjects that's come up here on the podcast is siblings and how you, if you are the oldest, you tend to influence one way or the other, the younger siblings where they either embrace your music or they kind of rebel and find their own voice. And so it's kind of interesting you being the middle child, you're kind of both, right? You've been influenced by your older brother and then, you know, and then your younger sister finding that own kind of voice is kind of interesting. That's, that's cool to share. Um, go ahead. 
older sister, younger brother. Okay, sorry, got it. Okay. Um, did so you mentioned sixth grade and finding Bruce. Do you remember when you first became aware of Bruce? It was probably it, it probably wasn't maybe it was when it was initially released. I think Born to Run, the song was the first Springsteen song I ever heard. And uh, at that time, I was listening to the local classic rock station. So I was into like the Beatles and the Who and the Stones and all of that kind of. Elton John, uh, I love too. Mm -hmm. So uh, Born to Run, the first time I heard that song, I was just um, blown away. It just, one of those moments, you know, like a movie or a song or a book, the first time you hear it, you remember just hearing it and how you made you feel and you were, wow. Like seeing the light, the old Blues Brothers movie where John Belushi got James Brown sing at the church. Yeah. It was kind of like that when I heard Born to Run. (laughs) Yeah, I I call it the the road to Damascus when, you know, Paul, when when Saul is driving and, and, you know, the, he has that light and becomes Paul, right? He's converted because of right. that. Um, I like the Belushi blues brothers thing better though. That that's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, can you, and, and you shared with me a little bit in your email about why his music meant so much to you, but can you kind of articulate what about born to run and and as you started finding more and more what about this kind of spoke to your soul yeah well um when i grew up my first four or five years of life was in a city called norco uh which is a very poor like a lower middle class okay a song like uh used cars off Nebraska felt like my childhood, right? You're in the back of that used car with the duct tape, keeping the seats together, right? And uh, having to have the wired hanger to get the locks and all of that uh, stuff. So I think coming from a real working lower class and also that sense of like a born to run, like God, yeah, I'm living 45, miles from LA but when you're a kid you might as well be a hundred thousand miles away from Los Angeles right you have no transport you have no mobility you're kind of just that feeling of being wow I'm stuck here right in that escape um, which I think even Springsteen himself has talked a lot about wanting that escape but then you know like in his Broadway show he talks about but then I still end up right living where I grew up right yeah exactly uh as he said right no one's gonna buy that uh that it is funny though that um some of us do move out and go forward and others of us stay at that hometown and you know i'm from a really small town um in louisiana and when i go back to visit you know i have friends from high school that have never that that's their life that's they've stayed they've never lived 20 you know 10 or 20 miles further than where their parents were and it's just a very different uh mindset and there's nothing wrong with that it's just uh my wife and i in you know the middle 80s moved to dallas and this has become home uh, so very different um i always like to preface this question alan with the idea that 
the the number of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are, um, depending on your age, your economic circumstances, where you live. All those are factors that can influence how often you've seen Bruce. But for the record, um, have you seen him perform live? I have, and probably about 20 times. Okay. I'm fortunate living by the L.A. area that he play comes and plays out here on every tour, and he'll play multiple dates. Right. Uh, and I have gone to see him, whether it be with the E Street Band, the original formation, the Lucky Town Band. I've seen him play uh, acoustic shows and benefits. And I flew to New York to see uh, Springsteen on Broadway. So it's probably been about 20 times uh, over the years. I've been fortunate to see him. Um, and I would go, if he played a four night stand, I would pretty much go every night. I, uh, back when I was like probably 19 or 20, I even left my dead end job at a restaurant called Bowling Coles, which was themed after the cartoon moose. Right. My manager made me to choose whether to work my shift that night or see Springsteen at the sports arena. <laughs> and you said that was an easy choice. I literally took my time card, <laughs> checked out. How young were you? I was like nineteen or twenty. Uh, the so. um, right the the adult you may have given a different thought to it, but yes, at nineteen, it's like I don't. This isn't even a debate. No. I can find wage job that's going nowhere like next week right? yes exactly <laughs> that's too funny what uh what was your first show uh, my first show was uh born in the usa the first uh, round okay. at the sports arena this is before he did another leg where he played the stadiums um and for that one i only caught one night of that okay sport. but um what that yeah, after you heard Born to Run and after you discarded it, were, was this something where you did a deep dive? Like you started buying, um, you know, albums or, um, you know, I guess this would have been cassettes at this time yeah. or, you know, to get to find his other recordings and such? Yeah, and I'd even go into like uh, the bootlegs, right, for the live shows. Uh, Mm-hmm. And swap with tapes with people back before, you know, there was YouTube and all of that. Uh, yeah. I had a, this high quality tape of his radio performance he did at the Roxy back in 75, 76. Oh, nice. I just loved. Mm-hmm. Well, do you, seeing him, do you have any stories from the shows that you might want to share with us? Um, sure. Uh, the first show was special because um we were young but my dad uh would always expose us to music he took he, he would drive us even my brother younger brother and i to some bad heavy metal shows mm-hmm. and he kind of sit there kind of god when is this going to end yeah i remember taking him to see springsteen at that sports arena show in 84 and i've never seen him so happy because he liked a lot of 50s rock too chuck berry and elvis yeah. that so just to see his uh, his smile, you know, like uh, <laughs> you guys finally took me to something good, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. I'm like, okay, this I can enjoy. That's funny. Um, my other memorable show was I had a heart transplant about 
eight and a half years ago. Uh. I had um, tickets to see Bruce literally like three weeks before I went to, I passed out in my bathroom and I'm a guy. So it takes a lot to get me to go see a doctor. Right. But I was like, what if I had blacked out while I was driving home on the freeway from work? And so I was like, okay, I'd better uh, get this checked out. About how old are you when this happened? I was about late 40s. Okay. So young still. Um, and that must have been scary. Very so, scary. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, so go, tell to me about, you know, passing out and then share a little bit because I know you've, you've written about this. Um, and that's one of the things that you you kind of reached out to me and said, hey, I'd like to share this story. So let's talk about that that health scare and, and what's kind of going on. Walk me through that journey. Okay, so it started out, I just wasn't feeling well at work. Um, so I said, hey, I'm going to, you know, go go home and rest up. Because Bruce was literally playing like the next week. I'm like, oh, if this is a cold or flu or whatever, I want to be 100% to see Bruce next week, right? Sure. Um, so I guess he helped save my life in some aspects. So I'm like, yeah. I came home and I was feeling kind of dizzy, whatever. I went to my restroom and just blacked out. Mm. So, uh, so I woke up and that's when I called, uh, from Jennifer and I was like, wow, I, I passed out. I'm freaked out. And you take me to like urgent care, took me to urgent care. And they thought it was my appendix. And I'm no doctor whatsoever. I'm an English major librarian, right? But I knew this was my appendix. But they said, you need to go to the local community hospital. This is how fast this all happened. Okay. Stay overnight. And so I did. And they, they said, okay, we think it's just something with your blood sugar. Stay overnight. You'll talk to an endocrinologist about, you know, insulin and all that. The next day I thought, okay, this still isn't bad, right? And uh, they're literally filling out my paperwork to go home. And then I have another episode. Wow. Blackout. And that's when they took a look at me. And this all happened in a matter of days. Took a look at my heart and said, you had an artery that never fully formed. Oh, wow. You've been a walking time bomb. Um, and they're like, you probably have just been sitting on your sofa the past, like, decade i'm like no i'm working full-time i'm teaching part-time i'm working on my uh master's degree in library science i'm in a band they're like no you can't be doing this with what you've got in mm. and so next thing i know literally like within a week after that i'm being flown by a helicopter to cedar sinai at a really famous uh hospital in beverly hills a lot of celebrities say, and I'm given just like a 20% chance of surviving that helicopter, that 30 minute helicopter trip from the Inland Empire to Cedar Sinai. Because the reason why is because your heart is, is because the didn't fully form that they, they just basically are saying you're living, you've been living on borrowed time. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. a per perfect way to put it. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't, my diet wasn't the best and my exercise habits weren't the best. Sure. On top of that at the time. And so, um, 
you know, if I talk to me where you're feeling about, because, and, and I will share with you, um, in three years ago now, um, I, I was having a lot of stomach issues. I kept, I kept feeling like, like I need to use the bathroom, but I can't. And I would just have this pain and it would be so sharp that I would just, you know, say out loud, you know, F and like on a scale one to 10, I would call this an eight or a nine and then it would go away. And finally it was bad enough that, you know, I'd gone to the doctor and the doctor had a lot of different, you know, well, we think maybe you just got old stool or, you know, maybe we probably need to send you to uh, someone. And then it was actually on Mardi Gras and uh, March 31st. And I called my family doctor and I said, I just couldn't go to school today. And he said, okay, you need to go to the emergency room. And, um, and within the span of three days, it's like, okay, we think you have a tumor. Um, yes, you have a tumor. Um, yes, it's cancer and you've got colon cancer. And so, um, I'm fine by the way, that's, but yeah, but the point was, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your world's changed. So talk to me about, you know, cause I, I would be my first reaction, Alan would be, okay, you've got to be effing me. Right. Like this is, this is not, you're telling me I've had this, but I've been fine. Right. So walk me through that process. Yeah. Well, the strange thing was this, I was, I was so bad, like where I was sent to Cedar sinai Yeah. That up like, um, probably about a week later. Right. And I'm in a hospital room, foggy, with all these monitors about yeah. 27 IVs connected to me mm. and just, not knowing what is going on. Is this a dream? What happened? I kind of remember going to the community hospital, right. but I had to, and I had been hooked up and I was, had been on the drug, but that Michael Jackson was on, right? Okay. Where you're, you're, you're in a dream state. basically. Mm-hmm. So I just remember waking up and then I'd lost literally like 20 pounds. My, uh, my beard was like long. It, it was just, just surreal. And it was just trying to figure out what happened. I remember a very, very close friend of mine coming in to see me like a week later and tell me, you know, your heart stopped. You were dead. The doctor said this was, it was your decision and your will to uh, continue on that got you through. Wow. Um, and so I was there at Cedars and uh, music became a very, I don't know if you had the same, a very healing thing for me. Um, my nephew had, uh, who was probably about eight at the time, had a little Fisher Price little plastic uh, CD player. Okay. Yeah, he loaned me. I want Uncle Alan to have this. And, you know, got had some CDs brought to me, like The Who and uh-huh. Spring, a bunch of other stuff. And having that music was such a driving thing um, to me. I remember Jennifer, she, I told her that's we were going to go see Springsteen. I remember telling her, oh, God, we should be going to Bruce right now. And then her telling me, 
you know what? The last thing on my mind right now is you seeing Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> now, Jennifer is your... She was just, I see the very, very dear. Okay, dear friend, okay. So what, yes, to answer your question, and um, there was a point where um, the the doctor says, okay, we need to give you surgery. And I'm a man of size. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am what you'd call obese. And um, so the doctor's like, we got to make sure your heart's strong enough for surgery. And I was scheduled to do surgery on Monday. And on Sunday afternoon, the cardiologist came in and said, you didn't, you didn't pass the test. Um, I, I, we need to do another test to make sure you're going to be okay. And, um, and so, you know, everyone kind of left me alone and I was alone in my hotel room, um, and, and not like abandoned. I wanted to be alone. Right. I, and I, I took my phone out and I created an F cancer playlist except I spelled out F right I started I started taking all the songs that uh, Land of Hope and Dreams Better Days Um, a a song by Sarah Hickman called We Are Each Other's Angels Um, No Surrender you know and I and I built this you know F cancer playlist and I I put the earbuds in my ear took my head under the cover and I just buried my head under the cover and I just closed my eyes and I started playing music and, um, and not so much a, you know, like a, a cry to the world, you know, and the spirits out there of that, you know, I, I just give me strength to take care of this. Let me, let me do what I need to do. Um, so I, I totally get, um, that, that power of music, right. That losing yourself into that. So please keep continue on. Yeah. Um, and when I finally got home from Caesars after over six weeks, mm-hmm. um, I pretty much had to be quarantined because when you get a new heart, it's like you're a child again. So like what might be the flu for somebody else could be very, uh, Oh, could be fatal to you because you have a compromised immune system. So you you had to have a full heart transplant. Full heart transplant. Wow. And, then, and I was quarantined for, um, and, I, and I joke with people now. It's like, okay, this right now is my second round of quarantining, right? So, yeah, exactly. Oh, I've done this. Hey, I've handled this before. Right. <laughs> but but, but it, it's, Sometimes you have to have humor too, right? Absolutely. I've done this before and my constant was music, was writing. I remember when I was at Cedar sinai the woman in the room next to me, and at this time I would take a daily walk, right? Which yeah. just to walk around the nursing station uh, was a struggle, right? With like a 20 minute thing. And I needed, I would call them like a pit crew, right? Right when you have all those IVs and that machinery hooked up to both sides of your chest and oxygen, a wheelchair behind you, seven or eight people. So the woman in the room next to me was like, I don't want to eat. I don't want to walk. I just want to get home. And so I would start, um, I told the nursing staff, 
if she doesn't want to walk, I'll take her walks. Yeah, it hurts when you haven't walked for almost two months, right? Like right. If you, it hurts. But I was like, I want to get out of here and walk out of here, right? Like, uh, mm. and no surrender, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, and it's it, funny story. Um, you know, I had, um, I had had a lady um, who had um, had been on the podcast and she had talked about that um, she has a charity in Europe called Oscar's Angels. It's for children with uh, delivered, you know, with, with diseases. And they, their motto is no retreat, no surrender. And so I, I embraced that very quickly. Um, and then also um, the, um, the uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank, right? Um, uh, from Tunnel of Love, um, uh, all that heaven, all heaven will allow. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and the, that um, because there's uh, there's the lyrics where it says, um, "Now some may want to die young, man, young and gloriously. Get it straight now, Mister. Hey, buddy, that at me." That's I've a man. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so as I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting this and I'm doing that but so anytime I posted something on social media I went you know no retreat no surrender so so I have a friend who comes in and says you know I, I don't know why you keep talking about this Van Damme movie but <laughs> he says, I brought you a DVD I guess you must love this movie and there was there was a no retreat no surrender Van Damme karate movie <laughs> like and I had to explain to him what it was because he wasn't a Bruce fan so um you mentioned how long you're in the hospital how long did it take you to get a heart and and, you know, the only thing I know is what I watch on TV, right? I, you know, I've seen the medical shows where, well, you're on a waiting list for a heart and all that concern. Um, it, how long did it take? You know, I was so fortunate. Um, it only took about two months, okay. which our listeners to know, that is not typical. Right. Um, a lot of times you're a year, year plus, and you go home with kind of like a little de- device right that will alert you when the heart's come you have to go right to cedar sinai wow also have like a device like a battery device that will keep your heart going that needs to be charged right yeah every eight hours and they were training my family and friends and relatives on that and i was like which was freaking us all out because i was like oh my god sometimes nights i forget to charge my phone you know yeah. i was like, <laughs> You do not want this to count on this, right? That's that's uh, that is hilarious. Um, so um, obviously, you missed the show, and uh, while Jennifer may not have cared, I know you did, right? I did. <laughs> she she. I just talked to her like the week ago about coming on here and telling that story. Yes. Like, I'm still mad at you for saying that. <laughs> That's <so> ridiculous. <laughs> like, well, I mean, you know, it was, yeah. it was, uh, which, now, which tour would have this been? 
this, I think it was ironically a wrecking ball. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Like, Hey, that's a really good album. I want to see, you know, and it's the first, I want to see what they're going to do without Clarence. I mean, this is important. <laughs> so, But, but I can't make this stuff up. He, I think he did like two legs of the wrecking ball tour. Yes. So he came back out about six months later and, the first concert I saw was Bruce uh, doing Wrecking Ball. So I did get to see it. Uh, had like a, my first little cup of wine I'd had right in celebration. Yeah. Tears of joy streaming down my face, you know. Uh, you know, there is a lot of discussion right now, Alan, that um, I've had people on the show and I've talked to people that, um, with everything going on with COVID and all the people we've lost and all the, the, not only the people, but the experiences we've lost, you know, and, and I realize in the grand scape of things that we haven't got to see live music is not near as important as all the people that have lost their lives. Uh, but when you're in that venue and the lights go down and Bruce goes into burning train or, or, you know, um, you know, backstreets or, you know, whatever, meet me in the city or whatever song he opens with, there is going to be some tears of joy, uh, you know, shed. So I can only imagine when you're in that wrecking ball, that tour and you're sitting there, uh, I, I can only imagine the emotion you must have felt. I, I felt like I come full circle that, okay, I, I'd made it, you know, and all, and I just was thinking about just to be there and just all the love, the family, the friend, you know, mm-hmm. everything, everyone that had been with me. And I think Bruce even said something about everyone who'd been with me, uh, on that journey here, right? And he, yeah, or he even talked to the ghost, right? Of yes. those still very much with us, which brought me back to my first Bruce show going with my dad, who has since passed on, right? A while ago. So it was, I don't know if I'll ever have a show that will be like that in my life. I don't think, I don't expect to, you know, that overwhelmingly emotional with joy sadness sorrow reflection it it, like it was riding a wave of emotion basically i i can imagine so alan how's your health now Uh, my health now is so it's so good i'm happy to report i'm uh eight years out eight over eight years will be nine years um at cedar sinai one of the doctors calls me uh, their golden child oh that's perfect which is good because they're like, wow, you really hunkered down. You really do your, do your exercise, take your meds, you know, your diet. And, and, you know, I was nobody's uh, health expert before this. Trust yeah. me. I, yeah. I, 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 there were plenty of fast food wrappers in my uh, trash. Yes. <laughs> so you sent me a little bit of an excerpt. Talk about, your writing and what you did? Well, it wasn't even meant to uh, be published initially. Um, 
I wrote it because that woman who is next door to me at Cedars really had an impact on me about, and you were talking about your situation too, where circumstances will befall you in life that you can't control or don't see coming, but what you can control is uh, how you react to it. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I, I'm stuck in my apartment. Um, I've got to set myself up a schedule, right? Okay, I'm going to see my physical therapist from this time, a walk, a meal, meds. I'm going to write two or three hours a day just to journal, just to process everything um, I'd gone through. And I shared that with uh, some friends who also happen to be English majors and said, oh, you know, Alan, you should really uh, do something with this. Um, and so I found a small local publisher, Pelicanesis, and worked with them for about another year on it, um, piecing it together. And um, yeah, it was very uh, therapeutic. And I've do I've done lots of talks for uh, Donate Life, One Legacy, uh, using the book as a tool to reach out. And again, uh, the proceeds, of course, um, go to Heart Association. And the name of the book is Heart Like a Starfish uh, over um, a song my band wrote like 20 years ago uh -huh. that was influenced by a quote, Heart Like a Starfish, meaning the, the story it came from or the phrase came from a romantic relationship, right? Where your heart can be broken, but like a starfish who breaks its leg, it can be regrown. So the song was written as that as the influence, but of course, post-surgery, it became the, of course, became something literal, right? Um, yeah. And so that uh, became the natural title. And uh, of course, my first show that our band got to play after I was able to play, of course, that song featured um, prominently at that show. Um. Yeah, and I, I see it's available on Amazon. Uh, yes. Is that the best place to get it at? Um, I Probably better for um, just to support local publishing to go to uh, the publisher Pelicanesis. Okay. P-E-L-E-K-I-N-E-S-I-S. -E -I, -E -I, I pray to God I spelled that right. I think I did. Okay. And I will look that up as we're talking. So uh, you mentioned you're uh, you're in a band. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, so I'm in a band called um, Refrigerator. And my brother has a label called Shrimper Records that's put out a lot of local and some national acts by bands like the Mountain Goats, who people may have heard of or some solo projects from band members from bands like Yola Tango, uh, things like that. So uh, our band is called uh, Refrigerator and we're a lo-fi band, which means we started out just putting out cassettes from bedroom recordings, which all ties back again to Springsteen and Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Talk to me, tell me what, what you mean by that. So uh, lo-fi or bedroom recordings is a terminology that came about in the early 90s of bands like for us it was just like a financial thing right we were like 19 20 21 22 we didn't we had no other way to get our music out there than to 
you know, dub cassettes, make our own covers, make Xerox copies of the cover and fold it and just record it on a little four track or even just like mini cassette recorder, right? One track. Um, and so that's how we record on in studios now, but we got lumped in with that scene, even though that wasn't our intention. It was just where we were at economically, right? <laughs> we wanted to put out music and we're like, hey, we can put out cassettes and we can make our own covers. My brother worked at a local record store. So what they would do, they would have what they call cutouts for listeners who don't know. Cutouts would be a major label put out a release by a band that doesn't really go anywhere. Right. And still, if you work at the record store, you can still return them. But what you have to do to make sure you're not selling them on the black market or whatever is you have to send back the cover of the cassette, but not okay. the cassette itself. So my brother would use those cassettes from major label acts that never quite hit. He just put tape over the tab, then he would record our band and other local bands and started his own little cassette label of a lot of bedroom recordings. Nice. Yeah, so, and that is uh, Shrimper Records, which also has a website. And it kind of grew from there. And it, uh, we're still putting out CDs and vinyl, and we've got to tour the East Coast and play to cut some festivals in Europe and all over and met some amazing people. So it was just like a, like a dream. That is very, very cool. Um, yeah. So um, by far, along with the the doctors and the donor who helped you, but you, music, you're saying, was a big part of the healing process for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I always had music going on the whole time, whether I was in the hospital room even when I would, I was, you know, passed out in that subconscious state, the music was playing. And I think music can change a mindset or, or the, even the whole feel of a room, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Absolutely. Um, are there, are there favorite songs or albums that, you know, not only helped you through your uh, medical, but that continue to, to ring for you? Um, my favorite Springsteen record is Nebraska because uh, just um, the lyrics, they're each like a short story. Absolutely. The, the, the rawness of it, the way it was recorded would definitely like inspire uh, my own band very heavily. Mm -hmm. uh, Bruce just recorded this on a four track cassette, right? And it was just, I'm just releasing the cassette. It sounds better. There's an intimacy to it. Um, I just get lost in that record. Although, you know, I think you have to be in a certain mood to listen to Nebraska. It's not an easy listen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, Western Stars is a sequel because I feel like Western Stars is a collection of short stories as well that they could very much be by um, Elmore Leonard or Zane Gray, you know, uh, Louis L'Amour even, you know, this, these, cause they're tales of the West and um, 
So I, I, I'm a big Western Stars fan as well as Nebraska. Western Stars, I love too. Who yeah. else in their 70s is putting out works like that? They're still putting out masterpieces, right? It's Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, what are your thoughts of Letter to, letter to You? Um, I've got to listen to it a couple of times. What I liked about it, I like the production. I like, it feels like a live record. I mean, I know he said that in all the press leading up to this. I love it so much. I just came in uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've only got to listen to it a couple of times. I love the energy. I love the E Street feel. I love um, that it is a record. It does like letter to you. And I think I've also read this in a couple of reviews, but it really it rings true to me. It seems like letter to you could be to the fans as well. And I, I think so. I, I do think so. I think, you know, one of the things that he has said over and over again, that is he has had a long conversation with his fans. And in fact, when John Stewart was leaving the daily show, he mentioned that he said that, you know, he feels like he has had a conversation with the audience and he hopes that, you know, that he continues to do it. So I do think that, um, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's 71, you know, here is a new album that is just, it is powerful and, um, some really, really great music. And I'm kind of very happy to see all the press he's getting and all the, the excitement about this new album. And, you know, I'm like everyone else. You just, you know, looking forward to whenever we get past this latest challenge that we do get, uh, you know, a, new, a tour again. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that be – because you just listen to this new record, you're like, oh, God, this this record – demands to be played live I, I think you're right absolutely um, so alan what have i not asked you that i should have wow i think we've covered quite a bit yes well um i told you it would be a good conversation um and i i, I did by the way i um i while we were talking it uh pelicanesis i do have the link to the book so I'll include that in the show notes so they can go directly from there. Um, so I think it's time for the Mary question. Okay. So for those of you who may be new to the show, um, Jay Armstrong is a soon just recently retired um, honors English teacher. He just retired, but he okay. is um, every year when he was teaching his seniors, they would spend two days going through Thunder Road and treating it like a poem, breaking down all the lyrics, talking about the imagery that Bruce created with the the lyrics and talking about the themes of the song, comparing it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. And at the end of the two days, uh, Jay would look at his class and say, okay, your question is, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So, Alan, that is your question. Does Mary get into the car at the end of Thunder Road? Yes. I don't think she does. I think a lot of the hints we, we uh, see in the song or when she's described is like a person who is almost uh, afraid to take that next leap. He's trying to convince her hey, come with me, let's leave this behind. 
don't stay inside and study your pain, make crosses from your lovers, throw roses in the rain. It feels like her outlook is more of a, a person that's resigned to their fate as opposed to somebody who wants to create their own destiny and see what happens. Another thought about Mary's role in Springsteen songs is that I think that what happens at the end of Thunder Road down the line really is not Mary running off with the narrator of Thunder Road, but the narrator of Thunder Road coming back to Mary in the end as evidence in Springsteen songs from the river onwards where we have several references to Mary and their life together. I I think that is a very good answer. Well done, sir. Nice. <laughs> That's a great question, by the way. Well, thank you. Um, it is it has become my version of um, the uh, actor studio. Uh, you know, he has these questions. I, I end every show with that. So, um, and I like your answer. I like your answer a lot. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you, what is the best way to do it? Are you on social media at all? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm both on Facebook, my email, which is what we've been going back yes. and forth, which is A as an Allen and my last name, C-A-L-L-A-C-I at yahoo.com. And maybe you could keep put that in the notes too, because I know it's a, it's I a will long do that. Yeah. I will do that, Alan. I will certainly will. Uh, what are you working on now? Oh, so uh, what I'm working on now, um, the band, we're, we luckily, we got everything, all the rough mixes and stuff of our forthcoming record done right in mid-March, so basically right before COVID. Nice. And luckily, you're able to do remixes and mastering and all that stuff. You don't have to all be in the same room. And so we hope to have that out um, early next year. Well, very nice. I appreciate that. You may have to come on and promote it. I'd love to. Oh, the other thing I think I forgot about the Springsteen link is the we're both Italian and a uh, Catholic. I think ah. that was that connected. I think so too. And uh, we will certainly, um, as in the new album, The Power of Prayer, um, I know that there were many people thinking good thoughts and praying for you and I and I am so glad you're doing well health wise and and I, I I look forward to checking out the book and reading your story and I'm so happy you joined us to share um, your story and how music helped you to heal oh thank you for having me on I love love what you do love the podcast and uh, I love I love hearing a lot of the insights you had this evening as well Oh, well, thank you. That's very good. Um, all right. So listeners, thank you so much for listening as always. Um, please social distance, be good to each other, wear an effing mask um, and let's uh, get through this together because, you know, we are each other's angels and, and we got to be here. So be good to each other and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. This podcast would not be possible without the support of my wonderful patrons. I want to say thank you to Mary Thomas, Terry Smith, Dale Hosek, Elizabeth Brunson, Stephen Malio, Anna Lynn, Steve Rogers, Hollick McMillian, and Chris Bloom. 
All of you are wonderful people. I appreciate you so much, and thank you for supporting the podcast. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.